Please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day of rest in you and to gather together at your feet and hear from your word and gather at your table to remind us of your great love for us. And I pray as we wrap up this series on what it means to love you and adopt and develop a, a rule of life that we'll, we'll flourish in, Lord, that you would take our minds and you would think through them, that you would take my lips and that you would speak through them, that you would take our wills and bend them to your own and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray, amen. My buddy, Kyle McClellan, who lives in Fremont, Nebraska, who many of you know, told me the story that back in the day, like 150, 200 years ago, out on the Great Plains of Nebraska, it was not an uncommon practice around Thanksgiving time for farmers and ranchers to put a tire rope from the back porch of the house to the barn. Why? Because when the blizzards would come, and you needed to get out into the barn to make sure the animals were okay, sometimes the wind gales would get up to 50, 60 miles an hour. And there'd be a whiteout where you could see only as far as your hand. And if you didn't have that rope, you could get lost and die in the storms. And some did die in those storms. I share with you that, that analogy because we've had a blizzard of a year, haven't we? You know, with the pandemic, with the political uh, divisions of our culture, uh, and the, the rancor that just kind of continues, it seems like there's a blizzard, but the Lord is offering us to a rope, a rope in which to hold on to, which is Jesus Christ. And so, we've been in this series all winter long, and if you can believe it, it's the last Sunday of February, and spring is coming, you know, you know, right around the corner. Uh, although it's, you know, March is iffy <laughs> at best in here in Cleveland. But we've been in this series on what it means to be an emotionally healthy disciple. Confident, joyful, peaceful, regardless of our circumstances, that what's going on. And we learned in a quick review, number one, it's not like Saul. We learned in the person of Saul, which was just an empty profession of faith and didn't impact his life at all. And the results for him and his son Jonathan and the whole country of Israel were an absolute disaster. So then we began to look at what it does look like. What we saw in the person of David, who didn't listen to the voices of his culture, didn't listen to the, his own internal passions and impulses and desires. He listened to the Lord, where true freedom is found. And therefore, he took on Goliath, recognizing that the battle is the Lord, as all of us do each and every day, go out into the world recognizing that it's his fight, not ours. We learn from Joseph that even if we've had a painful past, it doesn't define us. And because we can live confidently in who we are in the Lord's identity and not the world's or our impulses, we can be transformed by that past to be a blessing to others because his brothers might have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good so he could be a blessing for generations and generations to come. We learn from Abraham who taught us that even though we might live right, we might live unto the Lord in a beautiful, wonderful way, life throws curveballs. But we learned that some of those curveballs are walls 
and it becomes a dark night of the soul. We all know what that's like, job losses, crises, sicknesses, job yeah, divorces, whatever it might be. We didn't ask for it, but they come to us. But yet Abraham taught us that we can persevere in and through that as we trust the Lord. Jesus taught us in the Garden of Gethsemane that what grief and loss and embracing them and enlarging our souls in the midst of them in the Garden of Gethsemane, that while we're in that wall, we can pray, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord, and that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, we learned, given those steps and that reality, last a couple weeks ago, we said we'd start to begin to develop that time of personal worship. Not perfect. How you guys doing? You know? And there's no perfect people here, right? Uh, a, a time, a daily personal worship with the Lord using the daily office, and uh, a weekly, discovering the rhythm of a weekly Sabbath rest on Sundays. That today you get a vacation day, congratulations. No work. Hear from the Lord, be encouraged in the Lord by his word, and gathering his people and being a blessing to one another and to others as God gives us opportunity. And last week we learned because we live this way, uh, the, God's kingdom is tangible. It's real. We learn from the parable of the Good Samaritan that we're available to meet needs wherever we go. So we wrap this up today looking at the first church. And we're going to have two great points here. Number one, uh, what did they do that was so attractive? And what was their source, you know, to live such a life that we see here? Because when you look at these, this first church... In Acts chapter 2, that Jerry read for us, seems like a very emotionally healthy group of people, right? And what was the difference? Well, let's look at this. They made such a difference in their culture. You'll notice in verses 40 and 41, and if you don't have a Bible with you, you'll notice it's in the back of the bulletin. You can open up Acts chapter 2 in your devices and the ESV Bible that we're using. And with many other words... Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. My goodness, we couldn't hold 3,000 people in this space, you know. Um, but uh, it's an amazing that 3,000 were converted and brought into the church and the faith that day. And we know that. That's a historical fact. There's biblical evidence as well as extra-biblical evidence that this actually happened. It, and for the next 300 years, Christianity grew so rapidly. Why? It actually grew to the point that it displaced the Greco-Roman culture that it was birthed out of. Why? Because the earliest Christian community lived so radically different from the world around them. And the difference is found in verse 42. And they devoted themselves. That word in Greek is proskoteo, meaning to adhere to one, be his adherent, to be devoted or constant to one, to be steadfastly attentive unto, or in other words, to give yourself away, to set yourself apart for another. That's why some translations literally translate uh, verse 42 
that they gave themselves away. Well, what did they give themselves away to? What does it say in verse 42? Number one, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, which meant the Word of God, the Bible. They gave themselves during this time at the Feast of Pentecost, as they came to faith in Christ, they then gave themselves to Bible study, reading it for themselves, discussing it, and doing it together as God's people. They gave themselves away to fellowship. The Greek word there is koinonia. It meant they did life together as the community of faith. And they, they broke bread in homes. And it was an amazing thing. It had never been done before this way. All right? But it was genuine, even though, you know, they were different cultures, they came together in this way. The breaking of the bread, that meant Sabbath worship. They came together to worship the Lord on the Lord's day. It became Sunday pretty rapidly. But this is Pentecost, so that means Sabbath. Uh, on Saturday, they, they met. But they were committed to that. They were devoted to it, to cease from their work, gather together as God's people and worship the God, and then serve one another as there were need and in the community's needs on the Lord's day. And last, they devoted themselves to prayer. That they were prayerful people. They prayed with their eyes open. They prayed all the time. They, 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 they had individual prayer and corporate prayers together. In other words, what made the early Christians so unusual was this principle of radical unselfishness. And it pervaded their whole way of thinking. Verse 44 says, All believers and, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Selling possessions and goods they gave to everyone as they had need. It, it was one of the striking things that they just gave to people as they had need. This hadn't been done before. There was a Greek philosopher, Lucian of Samosata, who opposed it. Opposed Christianity vehemently in his day. And uh, you realize that authentic Christianity is always opposed. It always is. And he wrote that their founder taught them that they should be like brothers to one another, and therefore they despise their own privacy and view their possessions as common property. You know, and we see this right here in the passage. They, they shared their goods and their property and their power. They, they shared not only with one another, but also with anybody who had need. And by the way, this isn't communism. <laughs> this, is, this is voluntary generosity. All right, And it was a radical unselfishness. And when it came to their possessions and their goods, and that's not all, they did so regularly. Verse 44, and they who believed were together. Verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together. They did this all together. Remember who these people are in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, these are Jews who have come from all over the world for the Feast of Pentecost. And they're from all over the known world at the time. This is different countries, languages, cultures. But they had now become Christ followers. And they were together despite their cultural differences, their language differences. And by Acts 13, you will notice that it's no longer just a bunch of, it's all over the, the known planet. There were Africans, Asians, Jews, Greeks, Romans, all coming together, being together with radical unselfishness. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, 
well, wow, that's, that's sweet. Isn't that nice? You know? Is that really so different, Gene? Actually, yes, it was. Historian Kenneth Scott Latourette, who's one of the great historians of Christianity, writes, more than any of its other worldviews around them, Christianity attracted all races and classes. Judaism, he writes, never escaped from its racial bonds. Christianity, however, gloried in its appeal to Jew and Gentile alike, Greek and barbarian. The Greek and Roman philosophers never really won the allegiances of the masses. It was only for the cultural elite. But Christianity drew both the lowly and less educated as well as the highly educated because it developed a philosophy of which it commanded the respect of the highly educated. Christianity, too, was for both sexes. Whereas two of its main rivals were primarily just for men, women were radically included. The church also welcomed both rich and poor. So here's Latourette's conclusion. He writes, no other religion took in so many groups and strata of society. And so the question must be raised, why is this so? Why this unprecedented comprehensiveness came to appear first in the world of Christianity? Why? He would suggest three reasons. Number one, the idea that you should love your enemies instead of killing them. The idea that you should forgive indefinitely those who have hurt you. Rather than the first impulse of taking revenge, you seek to reconcile. No other worldview produced that. Two, some other religions did talk about care for the poor, but there was an energy coming out of Christianity that was absolutely unprecedented. And the Christian church started, in a phenomenal manner, hospitals, orphanages, relief agencies. Third, the idea that everybody is created in the image of God and worthy of respect and honor. No matter how what race or class, how weak or strong, how talented or not, all are created in the image of God and we're deserving of respect and dignity. It was never before that way. It didn't come out of any other religion. So when these early missionaries went out with the good news of the gospel from Acts chapter 2, teaching people to love your enemies, forgiving their enemies, reconciling and caring for the weakest of the society, the Greco-Roman elite said, well, that will never work because the strong eat the weak, right? But they didn't. It was compelling. It was amazingly graceful. And it won the day. What happened is they won the day and the reason why it makes sense to us today, and it's always made sense to us, but there was one day it didn't. And we need to know that. It only makes sense to you because they came from somewhere else. <laughs> and it came from right here, Acts chapter 2 in the scripture. So that's what they did, and that was their impact. But what was their source? How could they live this way? Why were they seemingly so emotionally healthy as early church disciples? 
And how can we be like them in our post-truth culture where people decide truth is something more akin to our feelings? And to say that their feelings or their truth isn't quite right or they're excluding us is the most highly offended thing we could say. How do we live in such a way? Well, the early church teaches us, and it's what Lent is all about. When Jesus was about to die in John chapter 17 in his high priestly prayer, he looks it up to his father and he says, Father, you sent me into the world so for their sake I might sanctify myself. That word sanctify can also be translated devoted. I devote myself. I give myself away for their sake. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And this is the source of the early church and our lives and strength. When Jesus left all of his greatness and all of his power behind, it became, gave himself away, taking his hands off his life and devoting himself for us so that we could become something beautiful. He gave up his glory so we could become something beautiful. He became of no reputation so we could have a name with God for all eternity. He was losing all of his love, all the love that he had always known, including his father's for us. He was rejected by everybody so we could be loved by God and live in God in the present for his glory and for others forever because he took the punishment that we deserved. Now, when Jesus did that, and as Christians, we come to understand that, all that he did, you know what that means? It's a game changer. <laughs> Christians realize in Acts chapter 2 for the first time that this is ultimate reality. No other religion before or since, no other philosophy has ever had God who gave himself away. Not hold on to your wealth, not hold on to your possessions, not, not to live for your glory, but to give yourself away for the sake of others. That's radical. That's astounding. That God would do that for a messed up dude like me, would atone for our sins, would devote himself for us, that changes everything. And therefore, my friends, in wrapping up, how do we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Hold on to the rope that is Jesus in this blizzard of a culture we live in. And we can develop what Benedict said in the 6th century, a rule of life. The word rule just simply means trellis in Latin. A trellis is something you grow flowers on, I'm told. I have a couple of them. But it's, it's a rule of life. It's just who we are. We hang on to the rope that is Jesus. And all of a sudden, we can give ourselves away. We give our, we're, we're devoted to the word of God. Like I said earlier, how you doing? There's no perfect people here. You know, we, we exist to help one another. We can give ourselves away in fellowship and do life together. We can give ourselves away to personal worship. I can serve my spouse, my family. I can give myself away and rest today. Serve one another and others as God gives me opportunity 
to, to take this in this afternoon and say, hey, how did the Lord speak to you today? Through the sermon, through the word read, through the word sung. Take some time and go play. Rest, rec recreate today. Take some time for self-care every day. Right? Eat right, exercise. Take care of yourself. Live a life of simplicity and to serve in mission to this community in a radical way. <laughs> it's emotionally healthy. Discipleship. And as we do that, sky's the limit. And so, my friends, let's hold on to that rope together. And if you let go, we got you. Because this is what we do. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this privilege to be together and just to hear this wonderful story how you created your church out of this band of, 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 of Jews who came together on the Feast of Pentecost from all over the world and you just woke them up and they saw you for who you are, Lord Jesus. And because of that, they developed a rule of life holding on to the rope, which is Jesus Christ, devoting themselves. Lord, may we live such devoted lives. And wherever we're struggling, that we recognize that we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit, and we can rely on you, Holy Spirit, to continue to guide us in your word so that we might be fully wholehearted, devoted followers of you, Lord Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.